Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now to help us so that we would delight in you as our portion and that we would promise anew to obey your words and walk according to your ways. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we pick up again our series in the book of Matthew and looking particularly at the, the work of John the Baptist. And this will be the last time that we look at John the Baptist uh, and his ministry here in Matthew chapter 3, because next time I preach, Lord willing, we'll move into chapter 4 and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've been looking at the the work of the Lord Jesus in being baptised by John. And so we looked at why Jesus insisted that he should be baptised by John the Baptist. And we also looked at what happened when Jesus came up out of the water after he was baptised. What happened? Well, the Spirit anointed him. The Spirit came down upon him as a dove and anointed him. And this anointing shows that he is the Messiah. That's what it means to be the Messiah. It means that you're anointed, and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit for a particular office, for a particular work for God. And that's what we looked at last time. What is the office that the Lord Jesus had? Well, he didn't just have one office. He had three offices. He had the office of prophet, priest, and king. But what else happened when the Lord Jesus was baptised? Well, the other member of the Trinity also made a statement that day. Who is that member of the Trinity? Well, it's God the Father. God the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and God the Father spoke from heaven. What did God the Father say? Well, we see that given to us by Matthew in verse 17 of chapter 3. The first thing that we notice is that he said, this is my son. God the Father was declaring that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was in fact his son. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means a number of things. We could go in a lot of different directions. But one of the biggest things that it means is that Jesus is fully God. He is the man, Jesus of Nazareth, but he is also fully God. He is God's son. And we know that this is what he was teaching, that God was teaching by declaring that he was his son, because later on when Jesus talks about the fact that he is God's son, the Jews tried to kill him as a result. In John chapter 5, verse 18, it says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. When God declares that this is his son, he is declaring that he is equal with him, that he is a divine being. He is a member of the Trinity. But what else did God say at Jesus' baptism? He declared that Jesus was his son. What else? Well, we see in verse 17 that he declared that he loves the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, it says, and a, voice came from and a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. God the Father loves his son. He's loved him from all eternity. There's been this inter-Trinitarian love that has gone on throughout all of eternity where the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And this is reiterated again and again in the Bible, the love that is between the Father and Son. An example is John chapter 3, verse 35. It says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. So God the Father declares that Jesus is his Son. He declares that he loves his son, but what else does he say when he speaks from heaven at the baptism of the Lord Jesus? Well, we see in verse 17 that he says that he is well pleased with Jesus. 
Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Why is God pleased with his son? Well, there's many reasons. Of course he would be pleased because Jesus is the sinless one. He is the perfect son. He never did anything wrong. So up until that point in his life, he has been a perfect son and therefore perfectly pleasing to the Father. But many would connect God's pleasure in his son here, that he is well pleased with him, with a reference in Isaiah chapter 42, which we had read for us just before. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, the prophet says, Here is my servant, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Why do many people connect the statement from heaven that I am well pleased with Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1? Well, it's because when Matthew translates Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1 over in Matthew chapter 12 verse 18 where he, re he reiterates that verse there, he uses the exact same Greek word that is used here in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 by God the Father speaking about the Son at his baptism to say that that same word was used by God in Isaiah chapter 42 in the Greek translation. And so many would say that that statement there in Isaiah 42 is being reiterated by God at his baptism, at Jesus' baptism. And of course, Isaiah 42 is very well connected with the baptism. Why? Well, what else do we read in Isaiah 42 verse 1? Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight or am well pleased with. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. And what have we just seen happens at the baptism of the Lord Jesus? God's spirit is put upon him. And so many connect the pleasure of God here at the baptism with the servant prophesied about so many years ago in the book of Isaiah. So then what is this work that would be the focus of God's pleasure as he looks at his son and says, I am well pleased. Well, wouldn't it be the suffering work of the servant? If we think of the servant who is prophesied about in Isaiah, what springs to mind? Well, of course, we could think about the work of, as a prophet. The servant was one who would speak God's word. He was also going to be one who would rule. But we think primarily, I, I would imagine, of the suffering work of the servant that is depicted so well for us in Isaiah chapter 53. Look with me at Isaiah 53, verse, uh, sorry, page 731, page 731 if you have a church Bible. Isaiah 53, one of the most powerful and beloved passages of scripture. Isaiah chapter 53, reading from verse 4, where, of course, we can go back to chapter 2 and see that this is spoken of God's servant. Verse 13 of chapter 2, it says, See, my servant will act wisely, but how will he act wisely, and what will he do? Well, verse 4 of chapter 53 speaks so clearly. Verse 4 says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Very clear teaching that the servant of the Lord would be one who would suffer, suffer greatly, who would be crushed by the Lord for the sins of God's people. And Jesus himself taught that this is the reason that he came. This is the great work that he came to earth to perform. Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Yes, he's a servant of the Lord. How? And to give his life as a ransom for many. That is the great work that he came to earth to do as God's servant. But was God well pleased with the suffering work of Jesus? Yes. How do we know? Well, one way is by what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 17. He says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. Why does God the Father love the Son? He lays down his life for his sheep. But how do we know that God the Father, at Jesus' baptism, when he says that he is pleased with Jesus, is primarily focused on the work of dying, the work of suffering that he would perform later on in his life? Well, I think the Isaiah 42 connection helps us, but also the fact that we've looked at before What was Jesus' baptism all about? Why did he get baptised? Why did he insist upon John the Baptist baptising him, the Messiah, to fulfil all righteousness? And what did that mean? Well, it means many things, but I think it primarily focuses on the fact that he would die. That's what baptism is all about. It's about pointing us to the death, burial, and then resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our baptisms point to, and that's what Christ's baptism points to. So when God the Father says, you are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased, I think we can say that one of the primary things that the Lord is looking at as he is pleased with the son is the fact that he is on that trajectory to the cross. And his baptism depicts it so well, his death, burial, and then of course his resurrection. So God was well pleased with the Son for this beginning of his work of going to the cross. His suffering had already begun. There is incarnation. We talk about his acts of humiliation and begins with his incarnation that the Son of God would take on human flesh is a humiliating, suffering work. And now he's continuing that trajectory, that suffering work, in going into full-time ministry, as we'll see, and the first thing that he's going to do is go and be tempted by the devil after fasting in the desert. He is up for a lot of suffering. It's only just beginning, but the Lord is pleased with it. But you may say, didn't God get angry with the Lord Jesus at his death? Wasn't it God's wrath that was poured out upon Jesus? How can God be well pleased with his son 
and angry with his son at the same time? How can God take pleasure in the death of his son while he is angry with his son for the sin that is put upon his shoulders? Well, there's lots of thoughts that have been given over the centuries about this matter. How God can be angry, yet well pleased with his son at the same time. And I think one of the clearest explanations of this dilemma that we face is given by Shedd. He's a Presbyterian theologian and he wrote in one of his books one of the clearest statements on this, and I found it a couple of years ago and hung on to it ever since, about how God is pleased with the Son, yet wrathful with the Son at the cross at the same time. That he is crushing the Son, yet also pleased with the Son in that crushing. Shedd writes, and so we've got to put our thinking caps on this morning. I don't usually quote people in length, uh, and this is a particularly heavy theologian at times, but concentrate with me now to understand the pleasure of God and yet the wrath of God there at the cross. Shedd writes, Though the father smote, wounded, and bruised the son, he felt no emotional anger toward the person of the son. The emotional wrath of God is revealed only against personal unrighteousness. And Christ was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. The father smote his beloved son in whom he was well pleased, Matthew 3.17, Shed quotes it, at, that very inst- at the very instant when f- the father forsook the son, he loved him emotionally and personally with the same infinite affection with which he had loved him before the world was. When it is said that Christ experienced the wrath of God, the meaning is that he experienced a judicial suffering caused by God. The wrath of God in this instance is not a divine emotion, but a divine act by which God the Father caused pain in Jesus Christ for a particular purpose. This purpose is judicial and penal, and therefore the act may be called an act of wrath. In Romans 13, verse 4, the infliction of suffering by the magistrate, so think of like a judge, upon the criminal is denominated an act of wrath. He is the minister of wrath, Romans 13 says about the magistrate. But the magistrate, the judge... He has no emotional anger toward the criminal. God the Father could love the Son, therefore, at the very instant when he visited him with this punitive or punishment, this punitive act. His emotion might be love while his act was wrath. I think the illustration is very helpful of the judge with the criminal. The judge is not supposed to be emotionally angry with the criminal. His job is to apply the wrath of the law upon the criminal, even while he may love the criminal. His emotion might be love while his act was wrath. Nay, his love might be drawn forth by this very willingness of the son to suffer vicariously for the salvation of man. So even by the fact that he is pouring out his wrath on the son actually causes God to love the son even more because he is suffering on behalf of others. Calvin says, we do not admit that God was ever hostile or emotionally angry with him, Jesus. For how could he be angry with his beloved son, in whom his soul delighted? Or how could Christ, by his intercession, appease the Father for others if the Father were incensed against him? But we affirm that he sustained the weight of divine severity, since being smitten and afflicted of God, 
he experienced from God all the tokens of wrath and vengeance. And then Shedd has just quoted Calvin, and now he quotes Witsius, a Dutch Puritan, who says, To the beloved Son of God, and at the same time to suffer the wrath of God, are not such contrary things as that they cannot stand together. For as the Son, as the Holy One, while obeying the Father in all things, he was always the beloved, and indeed, most of all, when obedient to the death of the cross. For that was so pleasing to the Father that on account of it, he raised him to the highest pitch of exaltation, though as charged with our sins. He felt the wrath of God burning not against himself, but against our sins, which he took upon himself. What is the greatest act that Jesus has ever done that would cause God great pleasure? It was to suffer God's wrath. To suffer God's wrath for sin, the sin of his people. And we actually see this strange tension in Isaiah chapter 53 of anger and love, of crushing yet raising, of punishing yet rewarding. Look with me again at Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53, page 731. You may still have had a finger there. Look with me at verse 10. After we've heard about the crushing work of God upon the servant, what do we read in verse 10? Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There we see the reward of God for his servant, even as he crushed his servant, he then rewarded him. He raised him from the dead. So what do we see at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we see a number of things. Well, one thing we see is a healthy relationship between father and a son. We see a healthy relationship between a father and a son. And why is this important to note? Well, many fathers have unhealthy relationships, unhealthy relationships with children. Why? Well, firstly, they won't acknowledge that the children, child is theirs. Why? Because sin causes fathers to deny the responsibility that they have to their children. And why else do fathers have unhealthy relationships with their children? Well, many of them do not love their children as they should. They do not love their children. Why? Well, sin causes them to be indifferent to their child, apathetic, to even hate their own child. And why else do fathers often have unhealthy relationships with their children? Well, many are not well pleased. They do not feel any emotional attachment of love to a child. And they certainly do not feel any pleasure with their child. Why? Partly because they're sinful beings and they do not want to take pleasure in much at all. And so they do not take pleasure in when their child does what is right. But why else might a father not be well pleased with a child? Because the child is sinful. And the child does things that disappoint the father, that do not give him pleasure. But God the Father 
has a healthy relationship with his son. Why? God the Father acknowledges his son. He acknowledges his son. Why? Because God the Father is sinless. He accepts the son as his. Why else? Because God the Father declares his love for the son. We know he has a healthy relationship with the son because he declares his love for the son, that he has a perfect love because he is the sinless one. God the Father himself is sinless. He never does anything wrong. And so, of course, he loves his very own son. And why else does God the Father have a healthy relationship with his son? Well, we see it at his baptism. Not only does he declare that this is my son, not only does he declare that he loves his son, he also declares that he is well pleased with his son. Why? Well, both of them are sinless. Jesus never did anything to disappoint his father. And of course, the father always does what is right. And so, of course, it's pleased with his son's perfect work. But what is the father particularly pleased with? It's the suffering work of his son. The suffering work of his son for his people's sins. Now, what is the value for us this morning? As we come into 2023, what is the value for us to focus on this loving, delighting relationship between Father and Son, between the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Son? What is the value for us? Well, as God has a healthy relationship with Jesus, he then also has a healthy relationship with believers in Christ. Why? Well, their sin has been paid for. Their sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ. Christ's work at the cross and his work throughout all his days, by faith, comes and is applied to all believers. The elder brother, so to speak, his work becomes the work of all believers. And how well pleased is God with believers? He is so pleased with the work of Christ Jesus. When he looks at the work of Christ Jesus, which by faith is applied to believers, he is so well pleased with them that he adopts them into his family and calls them his children. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they actually become children of God. Not firstborn sons. The firstborn son is the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 is a passage that clearly declares that, that he is the one and only, one and only God's son, the only begotten son of the Father. But by faith, God does adopt us as sons and says the same things about us. If we have union with Christ by faith, he says the same things about us as he says about the Lord Jesus. What's that? These are my sons whom I love. With them, I am well pleased. When does he say this? Well, at our new birth. When we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit working upon our hearts, we become children of God. We are born again and we are God's children. And he declares at our spiritual baptism, what he declared at the water baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ so many years ago, you are now my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are his son. I might be tempted to throw in the word daughter there for the sisters that are amongst us, but I think there's a place to actually emphasise the word son because son has full rights as an heir. You are sons 
There is no diminishing of that fact by the work of the Spirit. And God declares that about you at your spiritual baptism. And then he continues to declare it all through your life. Every year that passes, you are declared a child of God. At your water baptism, that is what is being declared. When you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are being declared as a child of God. And it happens every day of your life for the rest of your life. You are a son whom God loves. And with you, he is well pleased. Why? Because he is well pleased with Christ. And you are united with Christ. So when he looks on you, he looks at Christ and is well pleased with you. What a joy then it is for us in 2023 to begin the year seeing the pleasure of the Father for the Son. Why? Because it shows the pleasure of the Heavenly Father for us, His children. And so we cannot help but give God glory and rejoice in the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we know that what is said there is said of us as well. And we exclaim, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. But if you are not one who trusts in Christ, you are not one who trusts in Christ, what does God the Father say about you? Well, he says, you are not my son. You are not one whom I love. And with you, I am not well pleased. And one day, I, in my righteous anger, my judicial anger and emotional anger, will send you to hell as a rebel against me for all your sin against me and against your fellow man. May it not be. If you do not trust in Christ Jesus, trust in him now. Be adopted by God and have God delight in you as he delights in the rest of his people. As you go into 2023, do you have New Year's resolutions? Was that something you did last night? You sat around and talked about your New Year's resolutions and what you're going to do in 2023? Why would you do that? Well, generally, it's to be a better person so that you will be well pleased with you and so that others around you will be well pleased with you. Do you want to make God well pleased with you in 2023? It's not going to come by doing more Bible reading, doing more prayer, going to church more. It's going to come by being in union with Christ and having Christ's work applied to your heart. If you're an unbeliever, that is the only resolution you should be making in 2023, is that I'm going to trust in Christ. I'm going to trust that he died for me and my sin has been paid for by his suffering servant work so many years ago. And if you have trusted in Christ Jesus, make a New Year's resolution to remember that you're a child of God child of God, a son of God, and rejoice therefore in your service of him in 2023. It will help you get through whatever comes in 2023. You may be concerned about all kinds of things in 2023, 
troubles that were in 2022 and they're going to continue into 2023. But if you have in mind that you're a son whom God loves and he is well pleased with you, you can face whatever comes. Because what did Jesus face? He had this declaration from heaven, then went into the desert and didn't eat anything for 40 days, then faced the devil, as we're going to see, and then eventually faced all kinds of people who opposed him to the point that they crucified him. All the time knowing he was God's son, whom God loved, and God was well pleased with him, even in his suffering, even as the wrath of God was being poured out upon him, he knew God was pleased with him. So how can we not endure any suffering that we may experience in 2023 if we will just remember God says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your love and your delight in your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we confess that we have done nothing to deserve your love or your delight in us because we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed. But Lord, we thank you that Christ's suffering work as your servant atones for our sin by faith so that you declare that we are your sons whom you love and you are well pleased with us because of him. Oh Lord, we ask that you would help us to delight in you as you delight in us and give you glory. And Lord, if there is anyone here who's not a child of yourself, grant them faith in Christ now. Adopt them into your family so that they delight in you and you delight in them. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.